do apart from your words of life. We have nothing. So, Lord, help us, guide us, be gracious to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the last time we left Jesus, remember he had been incognito for about 25 years, 27 years. And in Nazareth, just being faithful, um, being obedient to his family, his parents, providing, um, you know, just being a faithful Jew. Um, but now it is time for him to inaugurate his public ministry. And as we saw in Matthew 3 yesterday, Jesus appears, he is baptized by John. It's his way of identifying himself with um, sinful humanity. He is going to be the, the better Adam. He is going to take our place. He fulfills all righteousness. And now he, he's about to begin his public ministry. And Matthew is going to take us to Galilee and focus on that portion of Jesus's life and ministry. But before he goes there, uh, before Jesus goes there, there is a vitally important thing that has to happen. There is still one thing that is yet necessary, and we find this in these 11 verses in Matthew 4. It's where we're going to focus in this morning. This is the link between the baptism of Jesus and then the public ministry of Jesus. And it tells us in verse 1 what the agenda is, what's at stake. Look at, look at chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, several things are going on here, okay? One, um, if, you, if you know your Bible and maybe you're familiar with James and you remember uh, what James tells us. Remember, James says that when someone is tempted, that they cannot say that God is tempting them that it's by their own evil desire that they are being enticed and drawn away from God. Yet we see here, it says the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. Um, a couple of nuances here that are important to note. One is, um, let me just state a broad theological theme, and then let me just show you where we, we find this here in the text. God never tempts, he only tests. Okay, And, and... Satan wants to use the testing of God to tempt men into evil. We think about this in the book of Job, right? So God has a particular design <clears throat> for Job and the testing of his faith to, to make him stronger, to persevere, to increase steadfastness, faithfulness. In fact, that's what James says testing is for, right? Um, Satan, though, always has a sinister design. He wants to pull away the man of God to not follow God any longer. He wants to tempt towards sin, and that's where we see this over and over and over again in the book of Job. God means for this to be a time of testing of Job's faith to produce perseverance. Satan wants to use it to destroy Job's faith in his soul, and that's essentially what we have here. In fact, the word led into the wilderness to be tempted, it can also be translated tested. Um, but regardless, hopefully you, you, you get the distinction there that this is a time where God wants to prepare Jesus for his next three years of ministry. He wants him to come to experience God in a, in a unique, fresh way, his relationship with God the Father, to prepare him, to make him steadfast, 
um, and to stand in our place as not only the second Adam, okay? Because remember when Satan came to Adam and Eve in the garden, they failed. And now Jesus is standing in our place and will he fulfill the test, okay? Will he withstand this temptation? And here I think it's really important that we see the, the connection that Matthew is drawing between his gospel and the Old Testament, but specifically between Jesus and Moses, okay? So, so one thing to, to note here um, is in the background how Jesus' life is paralleling that of Moses. So, so for example, it was as Moses was called out of Egypt, Jesus, remember we saw this in Matthew 2, called out of Egypt. As Moses passed through the waters of the Red Sea, we see Jesus passing through the waters of baptism. Net tomorrow we're going to see as, as Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the teaching of the Lord, Jesus is going to be on in his Sermon on the Mount bringing new teaching or uh, fresh teaching from the world, I mean, from the Lord. And so we see, do you see how this is all paralleling the, the life and ministry of Moses? Well, this is what we find here in chapter 4. Because remember, it was, it was Israel that wandered how long in the desert? 40 years. And remember, Moses was never allowed to enter the promised land. He um, sinned by striking the rock, and that's a whole other story. And he was only allowed to look into the promised land. Well, here... Um, Moses, I mean, Jesus is being presented as Moses, as a more faithful Moses, obedient Moses. Will he be able to stand in the place and do what Moses could not do, what the people of Israel could not do? And their 40, 40 years of wandering in the wilderness is, is, is represented in these 40 days that Jesus has in the wilderness himself. And so... Here we find that Satan comes to Jesus in this, in this moment of testing, wanting to tempt him away. And, and essentially, he provides Jesus three opportunities to turn away from God. Three, three temptations. One, Satan confronts Jesus with the idea that he can feed himself. Secondly, that he can save himself. And thirdly, that he can exalt himself. And understand that in 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 a different context any of these things would be very proper right for god to do for himself okay he needs no one he provides for himself he uh it needs no one he is self-sufficient um he exalts himself but but what is happening here really is that satan is wanting to deter jesus from his core mission right what was jesus's core mission to seek and save that which was lost, to come and die as the suffering king, the suffering Messiah in his people's place. And um, we, can, we can certainly um, understand here that, that, if, that the idea is that if Satan can get Jesus to turn away from that mission of dying for his people, then he has succeeded. Okay, because then our souls will be eternally lost. And so essentially he's giving Jesus this escape hatch all along the way. But all along the way, Jesus is showing himself faithful because just like in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, not his will, but the will of the Father, Jesus had come to die for sinners. And um, 
Satan obviously did not want that, and that's what these testings or these temptings from Satan's perspective are all about. Now, a lot of the focus, and, and, and rightfully so in this chapter, is how Jesus thwarts the temptations of Satan, how he withstands temptation, how he walks away, how he passes this test, and that he draws upon the Word of God three times, right? And, and obviously that's a huge um, takeaway for us in a text like this, that when, if we are not nurtured, being nurtured by the Word of God, when we're not drawing upon the Word of God, when we're not feeding upon the Word of God, then we become very vulnerable to the attacks of Satan, the temptations of Satan. And, and, and you see how naturally the word of God flows from, from Jesus. I think it was said of, by, I think John Owen said it of, of John Bunyan, the, the Puritan pastor. He said, if you prick his skin, uh, he bleeds Bible or he's, he's, his blood is Bibline. In a sense, you see that with Jesus. It's not just that he understood and knew the word, but faced with any particular situation, um, the word just flowed out of him that was timely for that situation. What a great, great, okay, um, lesson for us. And that sometimes when we're reading through the Bible, we may not, we may not at that moment perceive a particular purpose or immediate application to our own souls, okay, as we're reading something. But as our God uses that word stored up in our hearts, that when we have a time of need, a time of temptation, um, the Spirit draws upon that word that's already in our heart. And um, it's just a great model for us. So a lot of focus has gone into in this text, you know, how Jesus thwarts the temptations of Satan by the word of God. But I think just as noteworthy is where he draws from, okay, in the word of God. All three of these quotes that Jesus takes from the Old Testament, man shall not live by bread alone, do not put your Lord God to the test, you shall worship the Lord God and serve him only. They all fall within three chapters in the book of Deuteronomy. And again, Deuter in fact, more specifically, Deuter Deuteronomy 6 through 8. And again, this is Matthew's way of showing us that just as the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, failing in many ways, um, just as Moses himself was standing on the, the top of Mount Nebo and, and not being given the opportunity to go into the promised land, here we are, these, these temptations culminate in Satan bringing Jesus to the pinnacle of the mountain and saying, I offer you all of these kingdoms. They can all be yours. Now, one of the questions that we have about this, well, were these kingdoms that, that Satan offers as part of this third temptation, were they really Satan's to offer? Okay, isn't, isn't the earth made, made by the Lord? Everything's in it. The Lord, Deuteronomy tells, I mean, the Psalms tell us, the short answer is yes, these were Satan's to offer. We know that Satan has been given dominion over this world for a season. We find this, for example, in Luke 4, 6, John 12, 31, 2 Corinthians 4. Many, many of these passages point to the fact that for a time, for a season, Satan has been given a particular kind of dominion, freedom here on earth, to exercise his control, authority to wage war against um, against the against the saints, and and so so Satan. These are in a sense Satan's kingdoms to offer, 
and he's offering them to Jesus, just bow down and worship me, wants to take Jesus off his mission, not to please his father, not to die. And of course, we see here that Jesus re resists the temptation. And what Matthew is, is providing for us is this, this idea that dominion is being contested, that Satan has had dominion over the earth, but now Jesus is coming in and he is establishing a new kingdom, a new rule, a new reign. This is why Matthew follows this up immediately in chapter 4 with this idea that Jesus is going into these different cities and he's preaching the gospel and the good news and he's healing the sick. The kingdom is breaking forth. Jesus' dominion is being exercised. He's fighting back the darkness of of Satan. In fact, we see this with this idea that as he as he withdraws into Galilee right after this temptation, um, he begins to accumulate followers. We, should, we see the calling of these of these four verse four disciples. We see the crowds begin to to follow him. All of it's pointing to this idea that this is kind of an inaugural parade. Jesus has withstood this temptation from Satan. Um, he has not been deterred from his mission. He is the rightful king, and he is moving forward to establish his kingdom and rule and reign. And nothing can ultimately prevail against it. Now, this little section, verses 1 through 11, ends where it says, The devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. And I think we probably think about Elijah here, don't we? When Elijah retreated um, to this same place in the wilderness, deeply discouraged, deeply downtrodden, but yet God ministered to him by remember God cooking a meal and appearing to him in the whirlwind. And here we see this idea that, that Jesus, above Moses, above Adam, above Elijah, has shown himself to be faithful, obedient, the perfect son of righteousness. And now God is tending and ministering to his needs. So that brings us then to the end of chapter four, where it tells us that Jesus withdraws into Galilee. He begins to call his disciples. He begins to gather crowds. And as we're going to see tomorrow, we hear his inaugural address. We hear him call the, the people of Israel to a new standard of living, a new way of seeing life, which is really not new. Okay, it's always been there in the Old Testament, but now it's being inaugurated in a special way. And he sits down and begins to teach the people as the king about his new rule and reign. So what, what are a few takeaways for us? Again, from Matthew chapter 4, um, be immersed, marinate, um, seep yourself into the word of God. Number one. Number two look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that when we struggle with temptation, when we fail our test, uh, when we struggle through our test, we can look to him and know that this is why he came and died for us. He is faithful. He is the, he is the, the more faithful Moses, the more faithful Elijah, the more faithful Adam. And because of that, we can turn to him. Number three, we see that the kingdom of God has now come. It's not fully here yet, okay? Only the second uh, coming will inaugurate that fully. But we do see that God's kingdom is encroaching upon the darkness, that his dominion is being established. And we pray that God would open our eyes to that, 
that we would not merely look at what is seen, you know, coronaviruses and economies and world leaders and things that are unstable around us, that even while that's happening, God's kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus is being established and we can trust in it. We can know we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. So just a few of the lessons we can draw from Matthew chapter 4. Look forward to being right back here tomorrow as we jump into the Sermon on the Mount. And just again, as a reminder, making our way through Matthew, um, we will do this Monday through Friday, okay? Take Saturday and Sunday off. Um, and so we'll be in Matthew chapter 5 tomorrow. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, Lord, for your Son, Lord Jesus, who came and was the more faithful Adam, the more faithful Moses, was the perfect son of righteousness, was a king, but who did not consider equality of God with God to be grasped, but he laid himself down. He became a humble, obedient servant. He said no to the, to the allures of this world in order to say yes for us on the cross. And Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, folks. Have a great day.